0: Are we broadcasting? Uh, We're about to hear from Mike Adams. Take (laughs) it away, Mike. Here we go. The Planet Mikey Podcast is brought to you by Dr. Robert Leonard and Leonard Hair Transplant Associates with Dr. Matthew Lepresti. What an unbelievably professional group of people they are. They, of course, fixed my hair. They are my hair doctors. And I've had my own hair growing now for 19 years, and it's lovely. It's the Hair Replacement Center of the stars, if you will. I mean, how can I say that? Well, ask Wes Welker, David Portnoy, Brian Scalabrini, Hardy from uh, 98.5, Toucher, and, Toucher from Toucher & Rich. Yes, they were all Dr. Robert Leonard and Leonard Hair Transplant Associate patients. Kevin Chapman, the actor, Christian Fourier. You want to get your hair fixed permanently? Call 1-800-GET-HAIR. Or go to hairdr.com and make yourself a no obligation appointment for a free consultation with the professionals at Leonard Hair Transplant Associates with five offices including Warwick, Rhode Island, Boston, Braintree, and Newton Center and Salem, New Hampshire. Leonard Hair Transplant Associates. You sounded like a professional, Mike. What did you expect? Okay, here we go. The Planet, Planet, Planet Mikey He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch your radio dial. The Kicking it back, sports. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and last goats. <laughs> <laughs> Women, how many times have you thought about slapping your fucking guy in the head this week? There you go. <laughs> Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. My microphone's not on. Yeah, it is. And we have an incoming call. I mean, Jesus. Oh we do? Yeah. Do you hear, no, that, little, do you hear that little beep just then? Yeah, don't answer it though. I'm not answering that. We have a we have bigger fish to fry. It could be a bill collector. Well then I'm definitely not here. <laughs> As Reggie Lewis once said. <laughs> uh, this is we're back. By the way, I was gone for a week and it was because of an illness in the family. Me. me. <laughs> I'm part of the family, and I was ill. And I haven't been sick in so long. Uh, and my, my son, Willie, got the, got the uh, type A f- influenza, gave it to my wife, Christine, who gave it to my son, Andy, who gave it to me, and all four of us were sick at the same time. I, I will say this, though. I had the flu shot for old guys, the one that really, really is a very strong flu shot. So I didn't get super bad uh, symptoms. And I feel like 100, maybe 105% right now. Ooh, that's good. So this should be a fabulous uh, podcast for a number of reasons. Bill Smith. Thank you. He's the one over there. Uh, Ben Kitchen. Hi. He's the one over here. And live via a a, a technology we like to call the phone. Yeah. We have Chris Price with us. Now, Christopher Price, if you're going to read his new book, you want to make sure you call him by the right name. Chris Price was telling me that when he's an author, he's Christopher Price,
1: hmm. right, Chris? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's for I changed my byline back in like '98 or '99. Yeah. But you know what? If I'm talking to people, like, I mean, I'm talking. I mean, Mikey, we know you. I know you. I know Ben. You know what, guys? Just call me Chris.
0: Okay. Well, I, oh, thanks, was gonna, Chris. Uh, this, that would save us a couple of syllables every time we mentioned you. You know why he does Christopher Price? It's why? an extra ten grand over Chris Price.
1: There you go. Sure, yeah. There you go. It's all It's all about it, man. It's all about the money. You know, the other thing, too, and for like two years in prep school, I was called Topher. Huh? If you take the second half of Christopher as yeah, opposed Topher. to just calling me Chris. Well,
0: yes. Call- my yeah. brother's name is Christopher, and it, my mother called him Christopher the Gopher. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had these teeth. You wouldn't have believed he <laughs> used to bite a lot of really odd things, too. But yeah, no, my older brother, Christopher, Chris, see, here's what here's the problem my family was. Chris Adams, my older brother, when I met my wife, Christine, and everybody called her Chris, I said, we can't call you Chris Adams because it'll sound like I'm marrying my brother. So I called her Chrissy, and she didn't like that because it was like three's company, you know. Mm. So now I have to call her Christine every time I open my mouth and talk to her. It's
1: unbelievable. I dated a I dated a girl named Kristen, and the, the the people when we would go to like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it was, it was man Chris and woman Chris. That's Whoa. the way people used to introduce themselves. <laughs> <so. Now>, did <laughs> you
0: have to prove which was which at any given time? No, no. Yeah. You know that reminds me though. It's the Christmas season is upon us, and uh, I, I I saw I think the greatest name ever for a pizza place, and I I wonder where I saw this at Cape Cod maybe. Uh, the name of the pizza place was cheese's crust <laughs> isn't that great i don't know why that's not national already you know in any event chris price uh, who uh, god i met you a long time ago you were writing for the weei website you've written for and contributed to a lot of people including uh uh the boston globe espn.com right
1: yeah, yeah. I've been around, man. I, I wrote for, I, I think I met you, when I first met you, I was writing for the Boston Metro newspaper, the commuter newspaper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like years, like 20 years ago. So <laughs> I wrote i wrote for them. I wrote for Bradford over at WEI.com. I wrote for Bedard at the Boston Sports Journal. And uh, now I'm doing some stuff with the Globe.
0: You know, you were one of the nicest people ever to work at the WEEI website writing department. What's that called? The, uh, what is that called? <laughs> we just called it the website. <laughs> called it writing the website. Department. Department. The web- the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you were one of the guys, everybody liked you. You know, you're kind of like Smitty. Everybody likes you. I don't know why, it's Just they, they just do. But the, some of the guys in that department, I had a hard time with, okay? And Minahan's okay. one of them. Minahan was a writer in that department, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah for a while,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, he's an, unlike you. He's an asshole. Uh, then we had, <laughs> we had Rob Bradford, who I always got along with. It turns out he didn't like me. He didn't want me doing the baseball show with him, the Hot Stove Show. So he, no, he,
1: I can't believe that he
0: backstabbed me with the boss oh, Kevin. No, we like Rob. Well, he well Bill wrong. and I like it Well, back- right. And Chris I'm, likes it i he That's backstabbed right. me, though. Never says he a bad did.
1: word about you, you bum.
0: He backstabbed me like you read about it. Never mind all that stuff. That's all water under the bridge. <laughs> I haven't even worked in that building in six years, so why do I give oh, a shit? Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're here to talk with... By the way, Christopher Price, as he's known when he writes, uh, has written a new book. He's written books on the Patriots before, and now now he's got a book out. And it's called Bleeding Green. I'm going to hold it up for the camera for our video portion of the podcast. Oh, nice cover! Here we go. <clears throat> yeah, see how green it is. Bleeding <laughs> Green. It's got the. I way- was
1: lucky, man. I, that that thing looks beautiful. It really does. That, that that's the most beautiful cover. For any book that I've ever done. well, it really it, is. Man. I think Chris too.
0: It's got the greatest logo ever invented in the history of professional sports. Yeah, yep. 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 That Whaler logo is just like way out. Of, that, that's a major market logo, and here it was coming out of Hartford, Connecticut, and it lives on today. Every summer, when girls walk around, yep, does it really? Yeah, the whale tail. Oh, I've, I've dated a few <laughs> whales in my life. <laughs> I dated one whale. She was all she did was blubber at me all the time out of her blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> I could make some sperm jokes, but I won't okay I refuse to anyway, Christopher Price has a new book out, and it's and I thank you I just got mine so I'm only this is how far along I'm in it Ben you're about a quarter of the way through a yep. quarter of the way through
1: have you, have you gotten to your quotes yet by the way
0: no I, uh, where how far along are they because I, I was going to jump right to them and, Hold but on, then and I already said
1: it you've immortalized Mikey in in the book. Yeah, yeah, it's about probably let's say almost halfway through because okay. you covered the team and let's—I'm not telling any you know tales out of school here. No. You covered the team for a while in the mid '80s, the early '90s, and you got to know some guys. You know, you got to know Dineen, and you told me some stories about you know drinking beer with Kevin Dineen and Lots hanging out with Ronnie Francis and stuff. So, so you're in the book, man. You got some good stories.
0: I'll tell you what—we the, the maybe the most beer I've ever had, outside of America, was in uh, Montreal. With, you know, Channel 3 in Hartford, they, they said, I, I used to beg them for road trips. Uh, and I'd say, can I go with the whalers on the road? Yeah, okay. They let me go. So we went to Montreal and Toronto, whatever. <laughs> and they, I had an expense account. So they, I said, well, I got the best cameraman at the radio at the TV station. Let's get these guys together, sit them down, have dinner, and then just shoot the whole thing with video and get some stories. Love it. So we did that. It was Quenville, Ferraro, Deneen, and Ronnie Francis. And me. And we sat around, we went to this Chinese restaurant in Montreal, and the guy who owned the place was a guy named Mr. Yu. Why? (laughs) His name was Why (laughs) Yu, Yu. And he, they had a lazy Susan in the middle of the uh, table, and he just kept loading it up with food. Every two seconds, he'd come back with another Chinese dish, throw it down, and then everybody'd grab it and be gone. They'd put another one down. We were there for two hours. These guys could eat, man. And we must have drank about 40 Labatt's Blues and the stories started coming out and they were absolute you know when you get guys drinking and relaxing the stories are going to be much better it's not going to be you know well we gave 110% out there on the ice and you know the the, the hockey clichés right chris
1: yep denine was always the guy though man denine was the guy who was, you know, I I talked to a bunch of dudes, you know, who played with him, and he was like, Kevin was the social director. He was the guy who made sure that everyone was going out, everyone was having a good time, whether it was concert tickets or, you know, going out drinking or going out to restaurants. Kevin was the glue. Everyone talks about Ronnie, and we're going to talk about how great Ronnie was, but Kevin was the guy, he was the guy who kind of you know, was 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 the connective force, was the connective tissue with that team. You you had a story you told me, and I don't think this one made the book, but about how he was coming off the ice once in Montreal. Yeah, and he got hit with a beer.
0: Yeah, yeah, This guy poured a beer right on top of him, uh, and <laughs> that was that was at the old Forum. Yep. You know, and that was like the uh, when you go to the old Forum, you you have a certain demeanor about you because it's a it's like a chapel, it's like a, a shrine. And this guy was, poor And Kevin goes to the, to the, uh, the security guards. He goes, he, point, he goes, yeah, it's that fucking guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he didn't run or test him. No, and they threw him out. They threw the guy out, which was great. You know, I mean, that's the way a hockey arena should react when someone uh, uh, steps out of line. But, yeah, Kevin was, uh, you know, he was the guy that was always playing pool, you know, at the bar. And, he, you know, and he, the guy could drink, too. And yeah. even, even when he had Crohn's disease, you know, he could still drink. <laughs> you know, which is a real art form. <laughs> uh, so now, what, what no, town in no, Connecticut? No, it was, in, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to ask you what town you're from, because I, I didn't know that uh, in Connecticut. Where are you from?
1: I grew up in Farmington in Suffield. My dad, get this, my dad taught at Miss Porter's. And so I was at Miss Porter's when I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. And so, you know, if that wasn't enough to kind of, you know, warp your little, you know, your brain there yes. you know, growing up, right. you know, it was it was all whalers all the time and mike you can speak to this man the idea of big time professional sports in connecticut this was before yukon basketball was the all-consuming monolith that it is now right they that, hadn't busted you know, the out Wailers, yet. yeah i mean it, w- it was the first taste of big time sports we always had to go okay bruins you know rangers uh, red sox yankees this was a team that was ours in that sense of possession man when i was growing up in farmington and later on in suffield that was yeah. really cool they were our team.
0: Well, I went to Avon Old Farms, you know, for one year before I was unceremoniously booted from their, from their roster, uh, and, <laughs> and so I know Farmington well. In fact, I I used to go to the. We used to have a, what they called mixers with Miss Porter's School. Oh yeah, and we had them with Ethel Walker's School too. You know, and they were so, all the girls in those schools were snobby, but they were so rich. If you could put up with the snobbiness, you had something going. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see, I went. I went to. I'm, I'm with you, man. I went to Salisbury for three years. Yeah. So I know exactly, I know about the, the mixers, the whole bit. We used to go to those schools. We used to go to Westover. Sure. You know, the whole, the whole bit, man. I was right there with you. I know So what
0: you're as about. a Farmington guy, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously familiar for the, with the geography of the situation. the Hartford. Just Hartford itself as a city not having a professional sport. When the Whalers finally came in, everybody was enthused about it. And it didn't really matter how good or bad the team was at the early going.
1: Yeah, everyone loved him. Everyone was all in, man. The, the thing that really, for me, illustrates just how much, not just fans, but like politicians and the state and, you know, the team, everyone was all in on him, was when the, when the first Civic Center collapsed in 78. It took people like 12 hours to say, all right, man, we're going to build a new one. We're going to move to Springfield for a couple of years, and we were, you know, the politicians and the business people and the fans, and everyone got behind it. And everyone was like, yeah, we're all in. We're going to do this. The only time. And this is a little bit of kind of a a different comparison, but, you know, this is the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head. The only time where we had a city kind of rally around a building like that was New Orleans after Katrina, where people were like, look, we're going to rebuild the Superdome. We're going to make it bigger. We're going to make it better. You know, the same feeling was there in Hartford, man, where people were like, look. Yeah, this is our team. We're going to have a building. new we're civic gonna center. We're going to make everything better.
0: We're going to have a brand new civic center. You know, the Katrina thing too was you know that you had to. They were taking care of the population, and it only took them, I think, three, four, five years to get rid of the smell of bo in that building after <laughs> <laughs> Katrina was over. Because I mean, there were no showers, you just walked through the Katrina mud and came came back into your your place. But the but the civic center roof fell in. Man, that was they're lucky there's a basketball game there that night night before i mean a couple hours before the roof collapsed they're lucky they didn't lose fifteen thousand people in the biggest disaster ever
1: yeah that that still blows my mind that that even though that happened it happened overnight it happened after a umass uconn basketball game and no one was killed you know there there were i think there were four people in the building and they escaped unharmed right but it was just this big you know it it could have been so much worse that's one of the things i say in the book you know it was horrible and they lost the building and they had to rebuild, and it took a lot of years. Unbelievable. But it could have been so much worse. It could have been the worst disaster in American sporting history.
0: That's right. It could have been. It would have been parallel to that. Uh, remember that? What was that movie about the blimp coming into the Super Bowl and oh, Black uh, Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That was a, who came up with that awful idea? I had nightmares over that. I've been in three blimps. I even dro- I piloted a blimp one time, and I'm thinking, <laughs> how all I could like think of was, what if I crash this into a stadium somewhere? Yeah. Um, <laughs> The book is called Bleeding Green. It's Christopher Price, A History of the Hartford Whalers, and he goes into great detail, and he spent a lot of time on this book, and you spent time on it during the pandemic, so you had time to actually sit there and do work instead of uh, watching uh, uh, Judge Judy reruns
1: yes exactly you know i mean when in everyone went through their own story when it came to the pandemic but look it was really therapeutic to be able to go to my office and just close the door and write about the 1986 whalers you know just kind of put everything on hold and just kind of focus on this because everyone you know there was craziness going on in the world and so the idea of being able to focus on this was great it took me six years from the start from 2016 to 2022 and it was worth it man. I talked to almost 100 people including you Mikey. You talked, talked to a so bunch many of people. players, you know, you know owners, fans, media, all sorts of people. And you know everyone weird? gave me some great stories.
0: My first time this is honest to God true first time I ever went to a professional hockey game was when I covered one for the for Channel 3. I had never been to a professional <laughs> hockey game. I'd seen them on TV, you know, but I'd never gone okay, you go cover the Hartford-Whalers game. They're playing the Buffalo Sabres tonight. Okay, what the hell? I don't know anything. I didn't even know there were three periods. You know what I mean? It was like I was totally confused. But obviously I learned uh, baptism by fire. I started. They had me covering every single game from then on, you know, for the rest of my life. And it, uh, it's such a wonderful sport. And you really can fall in love with hockey quickly. It's not just the uh, the fights. And I love the fights. Obviously, those are, that's a great part of the game. But it's the quick, it's the movement of, of the puck. Everything has happened so fast. And it's not a difficult game to understand. It's just a really great game to watch. So I became a Whaler fan first. Uh, and f- fortunately for me, for someone who never been to a hockey game, in my time covering the Whalers, I got to meet everybody. Lemieux, yeah. Gretzky, you know, obviously Gordy Howe. I mean, this, this was an unbelievable experience for me. And I, to this day, I love hockey players as athletes better than any other sport because they're better people.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the things, Mikey, and you could speak to this too, the idea of the community, and that's what still kind of blows my mind a little bit, that you could walk down to the corner, so you could walk to Stop and Shop, or you you drive down to Stop and Shop or whatever, Big Y, and you would see Dave Tippett, you know, or, or you know, that, that these guys were out in the community all the time, they played golf. They play charity softball. You games. might even see he,
0: Dave he, he, Tippett without his teeth in, and that's a real horrifying experience. <laughs> well,
1: his teeth, but, are- these, but these guys were out in the community, though, man, and, and it was common to see those, you know, the, the players. You know, Jordy Douglas tells a story about how they were driving back and forth on I ninety one when the, you know, the Civic Center collapsed, and they were playing up in Springfield. They would stop at Wendy's, and Gordy Howe would walk into Wendy's yes. and buy everyone frosties and stuff. And so, the idea of that community, you know, Howard Baldwin uses the phrase that Hartford was the Green Bay of hockey. And, you know, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but, no, but it's, it's actually far removed from pretty, the truth because it was that great accurate.
0: community. Yeah, it's a pretty accurate statement because of the because of the type of uh, community. And Green Bay is not Milwaukee, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the Whaler team, uh, you know, I, I got to know a lot of the guys really good because I was over there every single day. There were practices and, you know, so you get to know the guys a little bit differently when, when you're there all the time. And, <coughs> excuse me, the... Um, Some of the guys that were my favorites were obvious. I mean, Ron Francis, you can't find. Uh, By the way, he's maybe the most difficult hockey trivia question. When you ask anybody, okay, Wayne Gretzky's number one in the history of hockey in assists. Who's number two? They never come up with Ron Francis. Mm -hmm. And he's number two in the history of the game. They say Messier, Lemieux. They name everybody but Ron Francis. That's the type of player he was. Unselfish. Give the puck up for the good of the team. Uh, I mean, he was huge as an assist guy and, and one of the nicest, most down-to-earth people you'll ever meet.
1: He really was. He was the kind of guy, and you 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 gave me the best quote about Ronnie Francis for the book, where he said, look, he he would never let you down. You know, you could hang your hat on him morally and, and athletically because he's a guy he's you know he's going to go out and score three goals against the islanders he's going to say the right thing to the media afterward he's going to know everybody's name you know all the people who work in the building he's going to know their name right he's going to know you know it, he, he's, he's just one of those guys who gave the whalers an identity at a time where they absolutely needed it man he was just he was the best he really really was and i still you know I still say that the trade to Pittsburgh was the worst trade in the history of hockey. March 4th, it 1991.
0: Ah, ah, the pain.
1: The oh, pain. You know, the worst.
0: Eddie Johnson trades trades him to Pittsburgh. And everybody was saying, you know, he, Eddie Johnson had been the GM at Pittsburgh before he came to, to Hartford, right? Mm-hmm. So the joke was, going around in the press room, well, Eddie spent years in, in uh Pittsburgh trying to build a winner, and then he came to the Hartford Whalers and traded Ronnie. <laughs> he's, and guess what? He's still doing it. <laughs> you know, that was a really bad day in Hartford, and Ronnie was beside himself because all he ever knew since he was 18 years old was Hartford Whaler hockey.
1: Yeah, and, the- yeah. and it was funny talking to him, and you gave me some great stories about this, but, but talking to him, you know, now he's still a little not bitter, but like, you know, he still wonders about the trade and why they made the deal. The best quote about that trade was given to me by your friend Peewee, Ray Ferraro, You yep. said, yeah, you know, everyone said that Eddie Johnson was going to build a Stanley Cup winner when he came to Hartford. He just didn't say he was going to build it in Pittsburgh as opposed to Hartford.
0: <laughs> Ridiculous. And by the way, the people involved in that trade, Ron Francis goes on to win Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh and to be, this, as we said, the second leading all-time, uh, second uh, guy in the his history of uh, uh, the league in assists. Also, you know, uh, a general manager of the franchise down in Carolina, and now he's, he's running, what, the, the Kraken? Mm-hmm. Now yeah. But the trade was Grant Jennings and Ron Francis and Alfie Samuelson to uh, to Pittsburgh for John Cullen, who did nothing. Jeff Parker and Zarley Zalapsky. <laughs> <laughs> that alone is gonna make you feel like shit. You know
1: <laughs> You know the guy I feel the worst for is Cullen. I, I really do, because people expected him to be Ron Francis. Yeah. You know, in, in the same way that you feel a little bad for Mac because he's not Tom Brady, you know, people expected Cullen to be Ron Francis, to, to not only be the face of the franchise, but to score 50 goals, to set everybody up, right. to you know, to be the Chamber of Commerce superhero that Ron Francis was, and he just wasn't that.
0: Wasn't that at all, and that was sad for him. You know, but, and again, I don't blame him. I blame the guy who pulled the, pulled the trigger on the trade. You know, Francis, yeah. though, he had they had an annual... Um, Golf tournament, Ronnie Francis, you know, charity golf tournament. And, uh, you know, Ronnie has a special needs brother. Ronnie would not go out and schmooze with all the other rich people and the golfers, you know, and the donated donors. He would drive around a golf cart with four or five kids on the golf cart with him. And they were all special needs kids. And for 18 holes, he'd drive all over the course saying hi to everybody and having fun with the kids. Never once. Did he uh, make a play toward the you know the commercial side of the tournament after one of those tourneys, I, Like my son at the time, Scotty was eight years old, I think. What?
1: Oh, I love that! I love this story. This is in the book, by the way. I love this story. <laughs> okay, well, I
0: think he was eight, eight or nine, maybe you know, and uh, maybe even younger than that. And uh, I said, "Come, Ronnie, let's. I'm going to call my son and, and let's surprise him." You know, so he Ronnie takes the phone. Scott answers the phone at home. He goes, "Hello, Scotty." And Scott goes, yeah. <laughs> he, Ronnie says, "Who's your favorite hockey player?" Scott goes, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Ronnie doesn't even blink. He says, "Who's your second favorite player?" <laughs> Scott, thank God, he said. Ron Francis, <laughs> I said, "Thank you, Scott, for saying that." He could have gone on for days without, and it was just one of those—you know—that's the kind of guy he was. And uh, I, I, there's no athlete I've ever met or covered in the, my sports history that is a nicer, more reputable human being than Ron Francis.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I, I really, I'm, I'm right there with you. I now, you talked that...
0: to—I'm sorry—you talked to? Did you? Yeah. Did you talk to Gordy yeah. Howe after he passed away or before?
1: I, I I didn't talk to Gordy. I didn't get a chance to talk to Gordy. Gord, you know, the guy who I, I I didn't get a chance to talk to a couple of people that I wanted to talk to for this book. Um, Numi was another one.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Who was
1: you know who was just who was a treasure trove of information. But he kept doing this deal where he would point me in the direction of, you know, hey, I got this guy's phone number. Hey, I got this guy's email address. You might want to reach out to him. And I would always say, Numi, you know, let's sit down and talk because I know you got a lot of great stories. Like, no, of no, 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 no. We'll talk down the road. And eventually, you know, we all know what happened, but, yeah. but yeah, it's, it was, it was, there were so many great stories, so many great people and you provided a, a bunch of them, man, you, you know, really, really, it, I, I really want to thank you for that. Also, I want to make sure while we're on here, I want you to tell the the Dave Tippett story when, when Tiger Williams oh, yeah, but, connected with him with a, a slap shot right in the face.
0: Yes. I was at practice and I was eight feet away from this when it happened. Uh, in fact, I was on the side of the ice. I was It was very close to this when it happened. And both guys from Saskatchewan, which is... <laughs> if you want to find tough hockey players, go to Saskatchewan. You'll find that, <laughs> and you might find a Holiday Inn somewhere that has a swimming pool, but that's about all you're going to find in Saskatchewan. So uh, Dave Tippett, who was a real... Cool, he, but as a player, was a real quiet guy, you know. Uh, and, uh, and And Tiger Williams, who had a reputation... Maybe the most penalty minutes at the time in the history of hockey. This was his final season, too. I think it was, was it, 87 or eight. And uh, Tiger Williams was a tough guy. He was a fighter. Nasty, nasty, nasty person. So he took a slap shot from maybe six feet away from Dave Tippett, and the, the puck went screaming across Dave Tippett's face. Because Tip, Tip didn't have a, 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 a any kind of mouth, he didn't have any guard or anything. He just had the helmet, so the the uh, the puck goes, you know, right into his nose, and you could hear the sound of the mushing of the nose. Oh. It just basically knocked his nose pretty much three quarters away of off his face, and the blood started gushing, and he skates off the ice because he's flowing blood, and uh, it was the most. It was really, honestly, disgusting sound. And I turned to Francis, and I said, oh, my God. I said, look, did you see that? Tippett's not he's – he's not going to play tonight. And Ronnie Francis says, I bet you my house he plays tonight. Oh. I said, what? He says, I will bet you my house he will be in the game tonight. I said, his nose just got knocked off his face. Did you see it? He goes, he'll play. He'll play. Sure enough, that night, Tippett, he's got – He's got cotton balls shoved all the way up his nose, like stuffed up there, and he's skating around, getting ready for the game. And he's and his nose is filled with nothing but cotton. It was really gross, uh, but it was typical of the Saskatchewan hockey player, and particularly Dave Tippett, who would come in an hour before everybody else to sharpen his sticks. You know, I mean, he was like he was so devoted to the sport. And I guess in, in Saskatchewan, what else are you going to do? You're not
1: going to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was, and you used the phrase, "Man, he was just a Saskatchewan badass," and that was something that really stood out to me. It was funny. I talked to Denine about that, and Danine's like, "Yeah, man, he was. You know, he was. He was definitely a badass. He was a guy who hitchhiked across the country when he was a teenager. He hitchhiked across Canada. Yeah, when he was a teenager. And the, the roster was filled with guys like that in the mid '80s. You know, they did such a good job. Emil Francis and Jack Evans did such a good job of putting together a roster of guys." that were greater than the sum of their parts and you know i always go back to the old belichick phrase where you know it's not about collecting talent it's about building a team right they had a great team they had guys like Tippett and quenville and you know it just glue guys who were there to to kind of contribute and make everything better you know in in that for me th- those were the good old days you know for, for that for that team from like 84 to like 87 or 88 yeah that was as good as it gets when you're talking about hockey, man. That that roster was fantastic, and I don't think it's any coincidence that literally like half the roster of the '86 team has gone into coaching.
0: well but, uh, yeah, they're all over the place. I mean, Quenville and Tippett himself. You, you know, the thing is too that uh, Emil Emil Francis, the the cat. I, I've had a lot of conver- I had a lot of conversations with him, and I said he he had a really weird sense of humor. I said, I can't believe you played goaltender in the National Hockey League with no mask. And he went like this. He said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, "Yeah, it's all over my face. <laughs> you can see it all over my face." Uh, now, you, the guy that you really—another uh, guy who passed away tragically—who would have been a great interview for you was uh, uh, Randy Randy uh, Randy Smith from the Randy G- Smith, yeah, from, from the JI. Yeah, what a—he was a really good friend of mine, and I was. Uh, uh, he passed away uh, I don't know, about ten years ago, I guess. And uh, but he, he was involved with you know the f- f- pushing and shoving match with Ricky Lee, and, and all, he was the guy who really kind of got him going a little bit. You know, tweaked everybody in the Whaler organization because yep. he would write whatever he thought was the truth, no matter what. It's too bad you didn't you weren't able to talk to Randy. But before he died, did you archive any of his old stuff?
1: No, no, the the J.I. isn't online, and so you can't find a lot of it. And I went back, and I got a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stories, um, the current stuff, from newspapers.com. And the J.I. is not on newspapers.com, uh, that's unfortunately. That's a shame, because so, yeah, yeah. when go I ahead. got
0: busted at a car wash, they had that article in the J.I., and I would have liked to go back and look at that archive. <laughs> you know, I got popped in a car wash on, on 420, uh, 1994, and the J.I. covered it like a, you know, it was a big story for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: God. Well, well it's, it's that and real estate prices in Granby, right? You know, that's what the G.I. has got
0: these days. The, um, Dean, I have a Dean Everson story for you. Dean Everson, of course, uh, you know, he, he was a nice guy, really, really oh, yeah. good guy, hell of a golfer. So we're in the Greater Hartford Open long-distance driving cont- contest, so the Celebrity Long Drive Contest at the GHL. And uh, I'm, I'm, I go next to the last, and I hit the drive of my life, Chris, I hit a 310 yard drive, and it landed right smack in the middle of the fairway. And I thought, I'm in, I win. I there's no <laughs> one going to hit it three more than 310. I mean, I'm sorry. Everson goes. I said, if, I said if you, I said if you uh, hit it farther than me, Dean, I'm not going to I'm not going to show any of your highlights on Channel Three of your any of your goals. He says, I may not score any more goals. <laughs> Then he hits it 330 yards and blows past me, 20 yards past me. That guy could hit a golf ball, man. It was unbelievable. But the the team was a team full of good guys. The book is uh, Bleeding Green, Christopher Price. It's now available. I tell people how they can get it uh, uh, the easy way and, the, and the, the traditional
1: way. You can go to Amazon.com and just do a search for Bleeding Green. You can get it there. We were actually... For a while, we were the number one hockey book on Amazon. You know, we were, and I think Gretzky was number two. So suck on that
0: 99.
1: (laughs) And then you can get it at any great bookstore, you know, the Boston area, the New England area. I'm doing some signings. I'm recording the audio book actually this week down here in Connecticut. So that's going to be, that's going to be available soon, uh, soon as well.
0: Well, that's, that's good. Now, Gordy Howe, uh, I spent a lot of time with him. We played a lot of golf together. Uh, at various times. And uh, I, so when, when Gretzky was about to break Gordy Howe's record, you know, and Gordy was following him around at different games to be there when he broke his record, he came through Hartford, uh, Gretzky did, with the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. And my son Scott had an L.A. Kings 99 shirt. And we were waiting for Gretzky outside the locker room because, you know, hey, I was connected. I had a press pass. So uh, here comes Gretzky. Okay. he He signs the shirt. 99 Gretzky shirt. And then right behind him, about 30 seconds behind him, was Gordie Howe. So I said, Gordo, come come here, make this shirt worth something, will you? And so he turns my son around like he's going to sign the back of the shirt, and he's got a sharpie in his hand, and he signs Scotty's neck. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sign the shirt, he signs the his neck. You know, and... Uh, and so, so Scott didn't wash his neck. You know, obviously, you, go to, you bring that one to school. And you say, look, who signed my neck, Gordy Howe. Uh, so we were playing a softball game. It was a Whalers uh, alumni uh, against uh, Channel 3 for charity or something. I don't know. And Gordy, we're all done. And Gordie's signing a whole bunch of autographs. He sits down at a picnic table. Before he sits down to sign a bunch of autographs, he grabs Scotty in a headlock. And he sits down, and he's signing for like 20 minutes with my son in a headlock. <laughs> and he wouldn't let him out, you know. He, and every oh, he, he kept signing, kept signing, kept signing. This is God. He's going to be pissed. Then he gets up and walks towards his car, and he still got him in a headlock. And instead of walking directly to his car, he walked him directly through this huge puddle. It was in the parking lot, <laughs> so Scott's feet got soaking wet. And then he lets him go finally. And Gordy gets in his car and drives away. And we're laughing. And we get in the car. I'm thinking, oh, Scott's going to be pissed. Scott turns to me and says, Dad. Gordy Howe had me in a headlock for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> he was so thrilled, you know. But
1: uh, I really love. My, my, hard... can, I, can, I, can I tell my favorite Gordie Howe story? Yeah, from the book? sure, of course. Dave Diebel, who played with him for a couple of years in the late seventies, told me this story. He, you know, you'd be in the locker room between periods, and you know the Whalers would be getting their ass kicked, and. Don Blackburn, the coach, would be walking down the line saying, you know, saying, like, Debo, you suck. Antonovich, you suck. You know, and then he would get to Gordy, and he would look at Gordy and just kind of keep walking. Hi, Gordy. And he would would keep going down the line and kind of cursing out the rest of the guys. And then Gordy Howe leaned over to Debo once and said, kid, don't listen to the coach. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about.
0: (laughs) Gordy was tremendous. (laughs) He played in a, uh, a Whalers uh, alumni game. This is when he was like 60s, you know, really old. Chuck Caton and I were doing the play by play. It was a Love fun. Chuck. Yeah, great guy. And so we're doing the play by play for this, like, you know, uh, exhibition hockey game. It's the Enfield Hockey coaches against the Whaler alumni. Now, you know who's going to win the game. Mm-hmm. So one of these guys was a real hard ass, one of the coaches, and he, got it, he ran into Gordy. Uh, And spun him around against the wall. I don't know why he did this. And then so Gordy grabbed him by the shirt, skated with the puck and the guy. He's got the guy in his left arm and he's got the puck in his right. He shoots it over to Peterson. Peterson shoots and scores. And then Gordy just turns around and pushes the guy against the wall. And the guy starts, like, fighting Gordy. And Chuck Cate goes, Lord. I'm not sure that guy knows that he's got Gordon Howe locked up there. <laughs> <laughs> and Gordy's just looking at him like, do you really want to do this? Yeah. You know, it's, it's Gordy Howe, man. Oh, I love it. I love that guy. And I, I miss him. I miss him a lot. One of the one of yep. greats. Now, you have anything going now with the Patriots? You've written books on the Patriots as well. I know you know a lot about the, foot, the, about the, uh, the National Football League and the New England Patriots franchise. But uh, did you see what Brady did last night?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I, I don't, I think there is, and you get this now when you're watching Mahomes, just that air of inevitability where you go, look, th- this game is, you know, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You know, they're interchangeable. It's like the furniture in a, you know, a great scene on Broadway. You know, it's, you know, Brady's going to deliver in the clutch. He did earlier this year in that game against the Rams. He did it last night against the Saints. It's, it, it's just, it is, it's a done deal. And, and he can still, you know, the fact that he can still get it done. I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not shocked at all,
0: no, uh, but the but it's not it's not shocking at all until it happens again with three seconds left. And you say, What's yeah. with this guy? You know?
1: Yeah. This, yeah,
0: this guy's unbelievable.
1: you know the great rumor, though, Mikey, is that all of the the verbal bouquets that Bill is tossing at Tom and Tom is tossing back at Bill He's coming back, you know, yeah, this is the setup for next year. And I'll say this, man, nothing I, covering the Patriots for almost twenty years absolutely nothing surprises me because inevitably you say well the patriots would never do that and you know they turn around and do that so i wouldn't rule it out completely but look you know i i i think it's the 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 best way look as a sports writer you're rooting for the best possible story, sure, and that's the best possible story under any circumstances.
0: But the guy keeps putting exclamation points on his own unbelievable story, and, and it you say, well, okay, he's all yeah. Well, the other guy's putting question marks on his. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but they're both they're both teams are six and six. You know what I mean? It's kind of ironic that that uh, that that's the case.
1: Uh, my my biggest question would be if Brady, if that does happen, if Brady does come back. Do you think he looks at Matt Patricia and says, "No, no, 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 you're not calling plays for me, pal. No, we're we're, we're, we're doing something different. <laughs> I, you know? I'm not going to take my play calls from a,
0: some guy who looks like Stromboli from the Pinocchio movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Uh, Christopher Price, as you would see on the cover of the book, uh, it's uh, it's the full Christopher. Yeah, Christopher, Christopher the Gopher, Salisbury, huh? <laughs> Salisbury. What was the what was your nickname over there, Salisbury? What?
1: The Salisbury Raiders, I think, if uh, I remember. Wow, that was a long time ago, man.
0: I think we at Avon Old Farms were called the winged beavers. <laughs> I swear to God.
1: <laughs> that was our mascot. You guys, you guys would always kick our ass in hockey. I'll say that. You guys would always kick our ass in hockey, and I think more often than not, football.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we we called Salisbury the Salisbury Pussies, just between you and me. <laughs> no, no, we, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Those prep schools, sometimes they had some pretty nasty battles going on. Uh, Chris, you going to hang around for our musical segment here?
1: I can hang around for another few minutes, yes, sir. Yeah,
0: well, this is only going to take two minutes. we got Joe and Jerry. They do our Castiglioki every single week, and we thought we'd uh, spice it up with a little Christmas music. Here we go. Joe, Jerry. I'm right here, Mike. I'm over here, too, Mike. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling in a ring tank tangling, too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside, the snow is falling and the friends are calling you who? Okay. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you, Joe. That's Shaw's. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Let's go. Look at all the yellow snow. We're riding in a wonderland of snow. Can you believe it? Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, it's grand, just holding my gland. We're gliding along with a song, Joe, Wintery Fairyland. Our cheeks are nice and rosy, and comfy, cozy are we. We've snuggled close together, like two birds of a feather would be. Let's take that road before us, sing a chorus or two. This song blows. It's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. There's a birthday party at the home of Farmer Gray. He grows weed. It'll be the perfect ending of a, a perfect day, Joe. I think you'll agree. We'll be singing the songs we love to sing without a single stop at the fireplace where we'll watch the chestnuts pop. Troop. Pop, pop, pop. A happy feeling nothing in the world can buy. As they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie from Shaw's, it'll nearly be like a picture print by Courier and Ives. You know who they are, Joe? These wonderful things are the things we remember all of our lives. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling in the ring ting tingling too. God, I hate this song. It's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together, screw you. Outside, the snow is falling. The friends are calling, yoo-hoo! Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you and Johnny Mathis, the African queen, Joe. You had to go there, troop. That's nice. Guys 90 years old if he's still alive